All right. Good morning once again, everybody. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning. All right. It is good to see all of you. We are so glad that you are here. It is a great day to worship. In fact, Every day is a great day to worship, but on Sunday mornings, you get to do it with a few hundred of your favorite friends. So uh, that's why we are here. We are so excited about what God's doing uh, in this church and one of the many blessings that we have. Uh, being one church, multiple locations at all of our campuses from time to time, um, I, uh, I need a little break. And so Pastor Mike's going to preach for us this morning. And, uh, and all of our campuses all around the metro and even up in Ames. Now, uh, once every couple months, uh, we like to all hear the same message and all get on the same page. And so uh, we're right in the middle of this sermon series called Here We Stand. And we've been uh, walking through kind of the foundations of the Lutheran faith. And I don't want to assume that all of you have been here for all, for all these weeks and everything like that. But um, I do want to say uh, you are welcome here. Uh, you do not have to have grown up Lutheran. You don't have to have a, a certain badge on or anything like that or have taken the pledge or drank the Kool-Aid. That's not our goal. Uh, our ultimate goal is that you would encounter Jesus because we believe that he is life-changing, that he is life-transforming, that he is satisfying, and we want you to experience him more than anything. We're going to preach and teach from a Lutheran angle, uh, but that's just who we are as Lutheran Church of Hope. So we're going to dig into this uh, topic uh, today uh, of the sacraments of bread and wine, of Holy Communion, and of baptism as well. And we're not just going to talk about it after the sermon today. We're going to receive the bread and wine through Holy Communion as well. So we're excited about that, to not just talk about it, but to receive God's grace in a very tangible way. So we would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone or your tablet, we would encourage you to follow along. If you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. Uh, that's always welcome. And, uh, and one of the things we want to encourage you with, too, is, is uh, Mike has things on the screen. Uh, read along with him. He knows he's talking to all the campuses uh, this morning. And uh, we're excited to dive into this together as one big Hope family at all of our campuses hearing the same message this morning. So as we do that, uh, let's go to God in prayer and prepare our hearts together. God, we thank you that worship is not something that we come and consume, but every single one of us is here this morning because we bring something to worship. God, none of us are just anonymous faces in the crowd to you this morning. God, you know us, you see us, you know what's on our hearts, you know what's on our minds. Some of us are coming off a really, really crazy week where there's a lot of distractions around us right now. But God, my prayer for every single one of us is that we could be fully present, fully focused, fully engaged on what you have to say to us these next few minutes. God, we want everything that you have for us this morning. We don't want to have a distracted heart. So God, make our hearts pure. Make our hearts receptive and open. God, none of us has it figured out. None of us have arrived. None of us have graduated. <laughs> we're here because we're desperate for you and because we need you, because we were created to worship every single week. God, we thank you for your love that meets us where we're at. We thank you for your peace that you offer us in the midst of our storms, and we thank you for your joy, and we thank you for the gift of laughter as well in church. God, what a blessing that is, as it helps us understand who you are and your nature. So God, open up our hearts today to your word. We don't want to leave here just hearing a message. We want to leave here changed, different than when we walked in. So speak to our hearts this morning, God. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. Good morning, everybody. 
There's only one Archie Bunker. If you're too young to know who he is, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, that was probably one of the most critically acclaimed sitcoms and one of the most famous episodes from that sitcom called All in the Family back in the 70s. Uh, that featured Archie Bunker and the, the tense relationship, among other things, he had with his son-in-law, who was an atheist played by Rob Reiner. And uh, he, Archie not so affectionately referred to him as Meathead. And, and that really developed a lot of the plots in these stories, which tackled all sorts of uh, issues of the day. And they did so in a way that was interesting, because Archie Bunker represented the um, kind of old school, uh, urban, white, uh, rough and gruff, uh, blue collar, uh, working sort of bigoted kind of guy. That was Archie Bunker. But in our culture back then and still to this day, and we're certainly feeling it to this day, the temptation is always for us to just oversimplify people when they're way more complex than that. Because while Archie Bunker was all of those things and his baptismal theology wasn't perfect and he certainly didn't know scripture inside and out and that comes through in that scene, underneath it all, you saw it, right? There's a warmth there and there's a love for his grandson and there's a faith, imperfect as it is, and there's a baptism, and it takes. We're all a little more complex than maybe we want to admit, and that we want to admit other people are a little more complex too. And there's something in everybody that's worth loving, but we live in a culture that loves to dismiss. Dismiss people completely because we disagree with something about them, or we see an ex something exposed in them, a flaw, a sin, an immorality, something that isn't right. And so we just want to say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with this person in my life at all. But we're all more complex than that. The reformers had a way of talking about this, and it still holds to this day. They used the old Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which means we are both saint and sinner, just simultaneously justified and sinners at the same time. We're not just one or the other, but we're both. And if we think that we have somehow graduated from sin into sainthood and never have any flaws, any, 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 any problems, any issues, then Luther said, we're delusional. We've tricked ourselves into a very dangerous place, which is darkness calling itself light. Pretending that we can be something that no fallen human being can be this side of heaven. Oh, that day is coming when the kingdom comes. But then, and it's not that we don't get glimpses of it, and it's not that we don't do saintly things, and it's not that all of us who are children of God and believe in Jesus Christ don't have some saint in us. Right now, we do. But we are also sinners. We're all a little more complex than maybe we want the world to be, especially when we want to judge the world around us and say, this person shouldn't be around, or this person doesn't belong, or this person isn't with me, or I want to make sure that everybody knows I'm here and they're over there. As we dive deeper into this series of sermons on the Reformation, all these things start to come clean, and it's not because, oh, the Lutheran way is the best way. I mean, we all know that's true, but it's not because of that. <laughs> it's because the one big contribution that Lutherans make to the whole church and the one big thing, the biggest thing that we still should celebrate from the Reformation that's now almost 500 years old and we're celebrating in this series of sermons called Here We Stand, the biggest thing is that the Lutherans and Luther pointed the church back to Scripture, back to God's Word. 
back to the truth of God's word and the gospel that sets us free and the law that guides us and directs us and accuses us of our sin and draws us back to the foot of the cross where the ground is level, where the ground is level, where the ground is level, lest we start to think that only those sinners need that cross. Jesus tells us stories like in Luke's gospel of the Pharisee and the tax collector and he reminds us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all need this same grace. We all need this grace. Whatever campus you're at right now, whether you're in Ankeny or Ames or Johnston Grimes or Waukee or Des Moines or here in West Des Moines, turn to the person on your right and left and say, you so need this grace. You do right now, today. You're like, seriously, I came to church for this? Thanks a lot. But we do. Say it to me. Say it to the preacher. Preacher, you need grace. It's kind of rough, you all ganging up on me like that. But it's true. And that truth sets us free. Instead of playing this ridiculous game of thinking that some of us have arrived and some of us haven't. Some of us are moral and some of us aren't. Some of us are there and some of us haven't arrived yet. Let's just admit the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let's just believe in what scripture tells us about these things. As Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee who doesn't think the ground is level, the tax collector who prays it is, that God could have mercy on him even though he's a sinner. Let's remember that Jesus spared his harshest words, not for those who were caught in the sin of immorality or sexual sin, but was one who only publicly condemned specifically and individually those who were self-righteous religious people who were judging everybody else. For those who were lost in immorality and sexual sin, Jesus privately came alongside of those folks, put his arm around them and said, here, go and sin no more. Let me show you a better way. You're lost and I want you to be found. You're in the darkness and I want you to have light, but I'm not gonna humiliate you. I'm not going to tell the whole world. I'm not going to post something on Facebook and say what a terrible person you are. I'm going to do that the way Jesus did. I'm going to follow his model because I love you. Because we're all a little more complex than we want to admit. Because we're all sinners in need of a savior. Because we all need the outpouring of God's grace upon us. I am really glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're all here today at whatever campus you're at. I, I, I want you to turn to the person and say something positive, actually. We're better because you're here. So, so turn to the person next to you and say, you make us a better church by being here today. Go both ways and say, whatever campus you're at, you make us better. You really do. This is the body of Christ. And individually, we're members of it. As we go through this series of sermons that point us to God's grace, we are using the Bible as our guide, and then this little book that Martin Luther wrote 500 years ago or so called The Small Catechism, which is a Bible-based summary of the Christian life. It isn't, here's how Lutherans live, it's Luther pointing us back to Scripture. And so far in this series, we've started where the Catechism starts with the Ten Commandments, and then we move to the Apostles' Creed where the Catechism goes, and then we turn the page in the Catechism, and it shows us what the Bible says about prayer, and more specifically, the Lord's Prayer, and we did that last week. And now we turn the page a little deeper, and we get to the sacraments. Everyone say, sacraments. The sacraments are, according to the church that Luther grew up in, something that uh, church people do, and there are seven of them. 
baptism, the Lord's Supper, but also things like marriage and confirmation. And you can see them up on the screen as it switches over to that screen right now by magic. There it is. Boom. Look at that. Confirmation, confession, marriage, ordination, uh, last rites. It's commonly called last rites. It's officially the anointing of the sick, but that didn't fit in the margins, so I put last rites up there. Sacraments are determined in two ways, according to the Reformers. Even though they grew up in a church that said there are seven, I don't want you to get too worked up about how many there are. It's really not the big point here. But because a lot of people ask, I'm going to address this real quickly. The Reformers, like Martin Luther, said there are two things that are essential to reach a literal definition of what a sacrament is. A sacrament literally means in the old origin of the word, God's self-giving. The way God gives himself to us, pours out his grace for us. And so the reformers like Luther said, in order for it to rise to that level biblically, it has to be something that Jesus instituted. Jesus instituted baptism in the Great Commission when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Next word, do I have a Bible reader at church today? Next word, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, this is what my followers do. They baptize. Jesus instituted it. He says, this is what you'll do in a way he didn't tell us to do some other practices in the church. It's not that Lutherans are against the other five, the other rites. We're pro-confirmation, pro-confession, pro-worship. Pastor Richard comes in and confesses to me four times a day. (laughs) That's not true. That's a total lie. Uh, but we don't have a formal confessional booth in Protestant churches, but we receive confession all the time. Our, our prayer people who will be up after the service at all of our campuses will be there, and oftentimes they receive confessions, and then they, they gossip about it and tell everybody. No, they don't. They, they keep it to them. It's between you and the Lord. As pastors, we receive confession on a regular basis. It's good for us. It's good for the soul. We're for marriage. We're for ordination. Pastor Amanda will be ordained in just a few weeks. We're we're for anointing of the sick and praying for their healing. We do all these things. But sacraments, biblically, according to the reformers, said it has to be something Jesus instituted, instituted. And then I'd sum up the second requirement with one word. Everyone say grace. It has to be an outpouring of God's grace. Jesus instituted baptism in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He instituted the Lord's Supper. In all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's recorded. It says, when you take this Passover meal, do this to remember me. And in between those two statements, he said, this bread of the Passover meal is my body now. This wine of the Passover meal is my blood. Remember that. Receive it. For the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus instituted it. We even call that the words of institution. To remind us, this doesn't come from our Lutheran tradition. This comes from Scripture. This comes from our Lord. This comes from the one that we give our lives to and that we follow and that we believe in and that we trust for our salvation. He said, this is what my followers do. They baptize and they break bread together in the Lord's Supper. They share this meal on a regular basis. And so we do. And so we do. So let's dive in a little bit deeper not just into how many there are or, or whether we should do this for kids or what age or those things. I'm going to teach on that at our, our page two service on Tuesday night. Why some churches baptize babies and adults and others just do those who come to faith first. And we'll, we'll get into what the Bible says about all that. Tuesday night, 630, here at our West Des Moines campus for any of you at any campus who want to come to that. But we don't have time to get into all those things this morning. 
I'd rather focus in on the power of what's going on here. The promise of God's grace being poured out for you. Because if I have to choose, that's the thing I don't want you to miss. That's the thing I want to make sure you at least have an opportunity to take in today. So that you walk out of here different than the way you came in. Some Christians underestimate baptism and some Christians overestimate baptism. Some, some Christians talk about it like it's magic and it's water and you need to get it done and then, then, you, then you have an insurance policy for heaven. That's not the way the Bible points us. Other Christians minimize it and say it's just a symbol. It's, you know, you don't, it's not something that you know, you're commanded to do. You are by our Lord. It, it, it doesn't really mean it. Nothing really happens. It's just like dedicating a baby to God. Dedicating a baby to God's great, but this is more. It's not the same thing. Baptism is way bigger, biblically. Here's what the Bible says. For Luther, for the reformers, for us as a Lutheran church of hope, it's always about what does the Bible say? What does God's word say about these things? In case you're tempted or you have been influenced by Uncle Louie or, 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 or some woman named Gladys who told you this is all baptism is and it's no big deal and it doesn't mean anything, Let's see what God has to say about that. Let's read this together, whatever campus you're at, from 1 Peter 3. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I put the last part of that verse in there because I want to make sure you understand. It's not the water that saves you. That's a big point for Luther. It's not the water, biblically, that saves you. It's the water combined to the promise of God's word. It's the fact that God promises, Jesus Christ more specifically promises to be present in the water, to meet you there, to meet the, the, the grandson or granddaughter or child or niece or nephew that you bring to the waters of baptism, to meet you there as an adult who's been converted to Christianity and wants to mark this conversion, this faith. It's not just water. And it's not that the water magically does this. It's that the water is something God chooses. We have his word on it to say, I will be there to meet you in that water. It's holy for you. It's set apart. That's what holy means then for you. It is the water of holy baptism. It's not the water that does this, Luther says, but it's the promise of God. It's his word. My love poured out for you. That's what makes it effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You hear that, some of you, and you're tempted to think, whoa, preacher, did you just say baptism joins us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm just quoting Romans 6. That's what the Bible says. We died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Buried with Christ by baptism. It's not just the water. Let's put that out there one more time. It's not a magic act. It's, we're not doing this for spiritually superstitious reasons. But if you say baptism isn't anything, it's just sort of a ritual, it's just a symbol, it's just something you go through, you're missing the biblical point. It joins you to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which if you haven't kind of got that yet, that's a big deal. <laughs> That's exactly what we need. 
more than anything else that we need in this world today, we need to be joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The next verse in Romans says, and if you've been united with Jesus in a death like his, you will most certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What good news. What assurance of our salvation, of the hope that God pours out for us through the waters of baptism. There's a, let me try to give an illustration to, to, to put some real life kind of uh, people onto this, onto this gift for you and its power to change us and to move us. Back in the early 1970s, 1973 to be precise, Birmingham, Alabama was in turmoil. Racial divides were uh, dividing the whole city. There was a high school in Birmingham called Woodlawn High School, and there's a picture of their coach, Coach Candy Geralds. Uh, at Woodlawn High School, they had, uh, for the first time ever, forced integration between races. So for the first time ever, the coach didn't just have an all-white team. In 1973, he had a team that was of mixed races, and African-American kids were bused to the school at Woodlawn on the other side of town in Birmingham, and, and, and so all these kids were coming together, and they were doing classes together, and doing life together and playing football together. And we might hope that that would mean everybody would get along great and everyone live happily ever after. But the reality is that's not what happened. What was common as school opened that year was fights and arrests and uh, chaos and angst and turmoil. Because of change, because of distrust, because of fear, because of ignorance, because of prejudice, because of racism. All of these things led to the result, and I know something about this. Nine years later, I graduated from a high school in Chicago, on the north side of the city of Chicago, Chicago Public Schools, that had just been integrated, forced integrated. And I played basketball on the team at Taft High School, just off the Kennedy Expressway and uh, Nagel Avenue, uh, and that was, it was tense at first. We had, for the first time ever, a basketball team at Taft that was of mixed race. Four of my teammates that first year were African Americans who were bused from the west side and the south side of Chicago up to the northwest side where Taft High School is, which previously had been an all-white neighborhood. The tensions were high. Fights before and after practice were the norm, and they were always racially motivated, always the result of of racial tension. It was the norm. Until we had a breakthrough, and I don't want to push this further than it is, the truth is good enough, but it was of a Holy Spirit kind of level, and it changed us, and we started to bond, and we started to become the only group in that high school that would eat lunch together in the cafeteria amongst different races. We were the only group in the high school that would go to each other's homes throughout the whole city of Chicago and hang out with each other. You should have seen my neighbors when I brought my friends from the basketball team home with me, their eyes couldn't have been bigger, and they were not happy with me at all. There's more to this story, I'll, I'll get into it some other day. But it was tense, I know how this feels, in just a kind of a, 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 my own life experience level, but back then, it was the whole city was tearing apart. Just nine years earlier in Birmingham, Alabama, from when I was in high school in Chicago. But I get it, I've lived it, I know how it feels to be in the middle of it. And ultimately, I ended up in the hospital one day because I got assaulted physically because of it. 
had my nose put way over on the other side of my face. Left for dead until an African-American teammate courageously broke in and saved my life. <laughs> I would not be here if it wasn't for him. God has something more for us, complex and messed up and sinner and saint as we are. God has something more for us that he wants to pour out for us. He doesn't want to just leave us be. He wants to heal our land. He wants to unite us where we're divided. He wants to harmonize us where our voices aren't blending together well. You think, oh, this is one of those stories where a coach came in and he got Jesus and he changed his team and then they followed him. It was the opposite. His team led the coach to Christ. Coach Tandy was a man's man, macho guy, not a bad guy, a good guy, the kind of guy you want your kids to play for. If you think of what kind of coach do I want my kids to play for, fair, tough, honest. It's not that he wasn't religious. Well, it's not that he was against religion. He just wasn't religious. That would be a better way to put it. He just didn't have time for God. He was distracted because his big goal in life was to win high school football games. Not the worst goal in life, but not the best either. And not one that's going to set him free or ever give him a satisfied soul, win or lose. So Coach Tandy was longing for more, only he didn't know it. Meanwhile, a few months before that school year started, somebody from Birmingham had gone to a Billy Graham crusade in Dallas, Texas at the Cotton Bowl, the famous football stadium that seats 70 or 80,000 people in Dallas, Texas. At the end of his sermon, which was all about the things I'm preaching about today, grace, the outpouring of God's love for all sinners and saints and complex people, Billy Graham took a candle and he lit it and he had all the lights turned off in the stadium. Pitch dark on this Dallas night, just before the school year started. And then somebody came up and lit another candle from Billy Graham's candle and there were two lights in the whole stadium. And that's all anybody could really see. And then somebody else lit another candle and it started to spread. Can you imagine? It's like Christmas Eve at Hope. Starts to spread not just through the whole room where you're sitting right now, if you can imagine that, but throughout the whole cotton bowl, on a pitch dark night, suddenly the whole stadium changes as it goes from darkness to 70,000 plus lights, bringing warmth and illumination to the darkness. It was quite the moving experience, as you might imagine, if you had been there. Well, this one guy from Birmingham who was there in Dallas that night came back to Birmingham so charged up, he walked into Woodlawn High School where he knew some people, but he wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a coach, he wasn't a counselor, he wasn't even a parent. He says, you don't know me, but I need to talk to your football team. <laughs> and the coach, who had had one too many fights break out and was wondering what he could do and was at his wit's end, Coach Tandy said, all right, I'll give you five minutes, you better be good. He went for an hour, preachers. I mean, he went, he went, he went, he went. <laughs> and he pointed this team to Jesus Christ. He pointed them to a better way, a deeper truth, and a more abundant life. He pointed them to the light. And he talked about what he experienced at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas just a few weeks before and how God wants to bring that same light to this team and how they could be a light for the whole school and how the school could be a light for the whole city 
and how it could heal the city in a way nothing else can. And if you know your American history, you know this. I'm on record over the last few weeks of saying, and I'll say it again, in this country, we are at a very crucial point. We're either going to break or we're gonna experience revival. It can't go on like this. If you know history at all, you know this is not a sustainable model. It's not gonna continue. And it isn't gonna get healed and it isn't gonna get fixed through politics if you know your history. And it isn't gonna get fixed because somebody starts some social movement or somebody wins a debate or somebody wins an argument or somebody pulls somebody else to their worldview. It's gonna happen by a move of God's Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm hoping and praying for. I believe God is on the move. And we are not just passive observers in this vision and this hope. We are the biggest church in Iowa. And we have a responsibility to do life the way Jesus calls us to do it. Even when the rest of the world is not, to be lights. Let your light shine, Jesus said. And when he said that, he didn't say that to a hillside full of saints who were perfectly moral. He said it to a hillside full of immoral sinners. Let your light shine, you complex, complicated people. Let my strength be made perfect in your weakness and my power fill you up and overflow out of you. Let your light shine. Let me ask you, Lutheran Church of Hope, at all the campuses who are hearing my voice right now, are you doing this? How are you letting your light shine in this divided world? How are you making a difference? How are you cutting against the grain? How are you showing the world a better way, a deeper truth, and a more abundant life? Will you? Because this grace is not just for you, in me, it is for us to share with the world around us, to let our light shine. What happened was, this guy who got all inspired by the lights in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, came and told a high school football team about it. They got all fired up. They got their whole school fired up. Their rival school got all fired up. They got their coach to follow them. And one Sunday morning, he showed up at their church, the church of the five players on his team who were African-American, and he asked to speak. And this is what he said. True story. This gospel, this good news, is not something that we show up once a week and hear about and go on as if nothing changed. You can change. You can be different. And you don't have to just knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. You can run all the way in. To be a Christian means to be in Christ, literally. That if we are united with him in a death like his, certainly we are united with him in a resurrection like his. And you can experience that today. We don't normally do this. We're Lutherans. We like to kind of do things by the book. I don't know if anybody else watches that and, and says, I want that. I want to experience that. And so we're going to celebrate Holy Communion here in a little bit. And, and this is the amazing thing about how this works. In communion, we confess our sins. 
we repent, our sin, we repent of our sins and we turn around and we go the other direction. If you've been running away from God, we turn and we go towards him. We confess our sins and in communion, we receive that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness. You get in line because you're a sinner and I get in line because I'm a sinner and we're made clean and we're made pure. And when we've experienced that, why would we keep it to ourselves? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality that happens to us. So we did a baptism up here last night of a little infant, and it just kind of hit me this morning. Maybe some of you need to experience that. So we have it. So I'm going to have our team go back in the next several minutes and find our baptism fount. And we're going to bring it out here. After we do one sacrament, we're going to do another one. And if any of you watch that last clip and go, I've never experienced that. Well, today's the day. And if it runs into the next service, it'll run in the next service. They slept in, they can wait. <laughs> so we'll get that ready. The bread and the wine are ready. Because it's for you. Because it's for you. And I don't think that God filled up our house today and filled up the lobby so that we could say, that was inspiring. I think he filled up our house today because he wants to change some people's lives because he's capable of that. And repentance starts with us and renewal and revival starts right here inside of you. Before you go tell other people that they need to change, we want to be the change. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. What are you waiting for? You're not good enough to take communion. You're not good enough to be baptized. The point is, you're not. I'm not. The point is, he's good enough. And so Christianity is about what you do. It's about what he's done. And we put our faith and our hope and our trust in a gospel that is bigger and stronger than anything that you will ever experience. His love is bigger than your sin. His grace is wider than any mistake that you have made in the past. And his hope is bigger than anything that you're up against today. You're not going to find it anywhere else. We didn't plan on doing this today. Did you guys know we were going to do this today? No, I, this just happened. So when the Holy Spirit says to do something, that's what we do. So we've got some water, and it's not magic. It's Des Moines tap water. No, this isn't magic. This is Jesus. This is as real as it gets. So we're going to experience the bread and wine we're going to confess our sins. We're going to receive that forgiveness. And if there are any of you that have never been washed in the waters of baptism, what are you waiting for? Today's the day. Today's the day. Let's stand together and prepare our hearts. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took the bread and when he given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. 
Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you that wherever you've been, whatever you've done, no matter what your past is, whether it was yesterday or 17 years ago, I'm going to forgive you. I do forgive you. And I will wash you clean and give you a fresh start. Do this in remembrance of me. What we learned last week is that we have a father that we can run to, and he's got open arms for us. That's what we're going to sing in this next song we're going to sing. The Father's arms are open wide, and that's the image when we come to him and we pray this prayer together. We come to our Father together. So let's pray that together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. A couple things really quick about communion. It's open to anybody here at Hope. Anybody. You don't even have to be Lutheran. Good news. If you want to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ, get in line and receive his grace this morning. Receive the bread in your hand, receive it as a gift, and you can take it and dip it in the first cup, the darker color, which is the wine, or the second cup, which is the lighter color, which is uh, juice, if you would prefer that. There are allergy-free elements available to my right, to your left over here. Just watch the ushers, those that are in those blue shirts. Uh, they'll get you where you need to go. There'll be three stations up here, and then we ask that you return to your seats. The band's going to lead us in some worship, and I'd stick around just to see what God's up to. I'd stick around and worship with us. You may have a seat. Come and experience His grace. All is ready.